the song, a new song. And that fits with Revelation because in Revelation you have people breaking into new songs all the time. Their song takes us to the back of the book where you go when you want to find out how the story ends. You turn to the front of the book when you want to know how it begins. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You turn to the back of the book. The last verses speak about a new heaven and a new earth about God wiping away all tears from our eyes, no more sorrow, sickness, suffering, death, the things that cause tears. Revelation. And it's important to understand that the book of Revelation really is a revelation of Jesus. It's an unveiling. That's the meaning of the word revelation. It's an un the book is about Jesus. It's from Jesus, it's by Jesus, so it's important to get that clear in our minds. And John, one of Jesus' closest friends, writes about what he sees and hears. After a couple of very wondrous prologues, John describes Jesus coming to where he is. He tells us where he is and why. He's on the island of Patmos, a federal prison, small island, five by ten miles or so, in the Aegean Sea. He's there because he couldn't and wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. Just, you couldn't shut him up. They tried again and again and just didn't, have, finally they figured we'll banish him there. So here he is on this rocky outcropping in the sea, and, G and John tells us, Jesus comes to Patmos. I just love that picture in, in the first chapter. And, and imagine meeting these two old friends together again. John, you remember, was the youngest of Jesus' friends, that circle of his disciples. Very close to Jesus, as were the others. But John opened his heart to Jesus in ways that were more childlike, shall we say, trusting and receiving. And, and, and John tells us Jesus comes to Patmos. <laughs> How long has it been since he's seen him? And what did Jesus look like when he last saw him as he ascended to heaven at that parting? John describes Jesus how Jesus looks, and he, 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 he tells us that his face was shining like the sun, and John says, I fell at his feet as dead. Then he says, check it out, he says, then I felt his own right hand on me. That great carpenter hand He'd felt that grip on his shoulder before as he walked the dusty paths of Palestine. And Jesus puts his hand on John and says, Don't be afraid, John. It's really me. John's gotten old. He was the youngest. Now he's among the eldest. He's the last of those who walked with Jesus, who knew him personally, Last of the eyewitnesses, 
And John must have had some fears about the future, some uncertainty, some wonderings, even though he had become one of those who spread abroad the news of Jesus' resurrection, the truth that Jesus was alive and well. But Jesus says to John, don't be afraid. I'm, I, it's really me. I was, I was dead, and I'm alive forevermore. And he says, I've got the keys. I've got the keys to the grave, to the tomb, to death, and the devil can't hold you. I will set you free. Then he says, now write. He's got something for John to do. Write. Get it down. And we find ourselves in the first three chapters reading someone else's mail. That's kind of fun, you know, reading someone else's mail. And as we read that mail, we may sort of find situations and ways in which it meshes with our lives, crosses our pathway. Letters to real churches. That's the way the first three chapters, the heart of the first three chapters. Actual churches, meaning for people in tribulation at all times in similar situations. But John is writing to people who are living in tough times, living in a time when the lions roar. And if you go to the Colosseum, the score is Christians zero, lions ten. It's not an easy time. The emperor Domitian has become a megalomaniac and who wants, wants the empire to worship the emperor. And the key code center of that worship is Caesar is Lord. And if you believe that Jesus is Lord, it's not a really safe and easy time. You'll remember in those letters there are wonderful, well, there are warnings and corrections. There's good news and bad news. You're this way, you're that way. Um, in Jesus' letters to these churches, he doesn't pull any punches. He tells it like it is. But everyone, everyone has also encouragement and promise Wonderful statements about who Jesus is. And you really, you really come through all that realizing that Jesus is everything we need. Right? No matter where we are or what our situation, he's the one. He's the one we need. The concluding letter to the Laodiceans, you remember that has a wonderful picture and a call and invitation to worship. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, says Jesus. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in and we'll eat together. The closest kind of fellowship, table fellowship, <laughs> with the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Then John tells us, and now we're at chapter 4, that he turned and looked, and, and a door was opened in heaven. And a voice says, come on up, John, and we can go along. We'll tag along with John into the throne room of the universe. Now, 
here's, <clears throat> you, you know something about what's coming in August and the worship is going to be our theme. So there's a sense in which today is a kind of rehearsal for, for, uh, for camp meeting, okay? And John Pauline, who's made the book of Revelation a lifetime study, is going to share wonderful things with us and there'll be other fine preaching as well. But let, let, let me uh, suggest something that I think comes very close to, I'm eager to talk with Dr. Pauline and get confirmation of it, but I have good reason that he will agree with the idea that in chapters 4 and 5, we have the climax, the heart, the core of the book of Revelation. Now that's a little early to say, well, we've come to the climax. But the first three chapters lead up to chapter 4, and what, we've, what we see and experience in chapter 4 and chapter 5 then forms the, the center of a perspective, a vision, an unveiling that helps us to understand how things work out from that point. So everything unfolds as we move from chapter 5 through the last verses of chapter 22 as the outworking of two things. Worship in heaven. Worship that centers, first of all, around a throne, and secondly, around the Lamb. Let me remind you. In chapter 4, we see a throne, and the song took us there. Thank you. Thank you. Took us to the throne. That's good news. That there is a throne, and there is a God on the throne, and that he is not distant and removed. Who is this God? He's the one that created by his will, his, his purpose. His, he is the creator God. And in chapter 5, we see a lamb. Chapter 4, a throne. Chapter 5, a lamb. We see creation, the creator, and the redeemer. In times of pain and wonder, there are times even when we may be tempted with the feeling that God is absent. Even our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross cried out, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? So even in such times, on the throne of the universe is a God who so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. The song in chapter 4 is a song of praise that you are worthy, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And what that simply says is God cares. We matter to God. He is a part of our existence and our journey, whatever that may be. He's got the whole world. Where? In his hands. The whole world in his hands. Then when we come to chapter 5, as I've said, we see a lamb. Uh, there's a scroll that figures into the picture with seven seals. A mighty angel with a loud voice who asks the question, who can open the scroll and break the seals? 
It's clear that this scroll relates to the future of this world, and in fact, it relates to the fate of the universe. I'm going to ask Marjorie to join me here and invite you to uh, listen to portions from chapter 5. Um, interestingly enough, welcome. This is your microphone right there. <clears throat> interestingly enough, at the first of the book, well, you realize that for thousands of years people could read and write, but they couldn't print books. And so what happened was written words were read and people listened. And you find that at the first of the book of Revelation, blessing is pronounced upon those who read. And this morning, right now, it's going to be Marjorie and myself. So we're blessed. And then a blessing is pronounced on all those who hear and who keep the words that they hear. I'd like to invite you to join me in just a, a brief personal prayer in your own words saying something like this to the Holy Spirit, would you please open my eyes, my heart, my life to what you would have me understand from these, this passage of Scripture. All right? Amen. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne, and the living creatures and the elders they numbered thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 singing with full voice. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to, to the, the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen! And the elders fell down and worshipped. Thank you. What do we have here, my friends? We have a basic defining picture of what worship is all about. There are many things to look at, many factors and facets to consider. But here is worship in heaven. We get a strong sense of what it is and what it is to be. And I, I, I want to suggest that for us as we contemplate camp meeting and as we contemplate what we do here ourselves even this morning, what we see here is directly related to what we do here to why we do it. When Chris and I were talking about this and this topic, he suggested, which is at the heart of, of what I'm trying to share this morning, that we need to understand why we worship more than how we worship. That the how comes from the why. Here is, a, here is an undergirding of what worship is, the meaning, its purpose, and it relates to how we live our lives as God's children. I, I'm going to suggest four, four things. Uh, this doesn't exhaust the topic by any means. But I'm going to suggest four things that, that we might consider. First of all, worship begins with God. It is God who initiates, who acts, who gives us the 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 inspired word of understanding. He reveals himself to us. He reaches out to us. We worship God because of what he has done. Which, which if you think about that for a little bit, and we will consider more about what he's done, but the basic note of worship is thanksgiving. And, and we sounded that note very well in the music that was selected and in our thinking together up to this point. Worship begins with God and is our response to what God has done. God as creator and God as redeemer and the fundamental note is thank you, God. Yes, of course we come with our needs, our requests of God who made us and cares for us has an ear open. There isn't anything you can't take to him. But you come not with a shopping list you hope to have him fulfill. You come with praise and adoration and Lord, here I am in need. So, number one, worship begins with God. It is God who initiates and that, that helps us to understand the response because as we know him, we understand and want to respond to him in truth and spirit. Number two, if you listen to the reading and you look at chapter five, the center of worship 
is the Lamb. Right? The center of worship is the Lamb. He's the reason and the purpose of our worship. He's the focus of our interest and our attention. Uh, th this isn't a gathering of uh, the universe to gaze in wonder at a famous celebrity. Small-town boy from Nazareth, born in a very humble circumstances, overcomes his background and makes good, so we say, wow. That's not it at all. This is not the matter of some powerful potentate who gathers everyone together to make sure that they are loyal and wants to hear from them their affirmation, yes, you're great, you're wonderful. This is a doxology of praise because of what he's done because of what he's done. It, worship is the glad, free response of all creation called forth by a recognition of the facts. When you know the issues and you look at the evidence, when the veil has been removed as God does in the book of Revelation, you join the chorus. You have to. Worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. That's a fundamental anchor point for the right understanding of worship. A response to what God has done, his love and his action through Jesus Christ. Now, one other little, little aspect that I'd like for you to consider. We worship because, not in order that, trying to think of an illustration, and I, I, I'm going to be gentle with this story, but I remember it very, very well. Very dear couple, members of our church in Orland, California, where we were for a while, had a large almond orchard, and uh, they, they were dear people, loved them. But I went to their house because I understood they were in deep pain, really hurting. And when I got there, we sat at the table in the kitchen and talked for a bit. And finally, the husband said, I just don't understand it. Our entire almond crop had been wiped out. The weather, circumstances, situations, I don't remember all the factors involved, but up there, almonds are the cash in your pocket. And, and they had quite a few, quite, a, quite an orchard. And he said... <clears throat> We've paid a faithful tithe. And I don't understand how this could happen. Now, again, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not condemning. I'm just, there's a, there is a subtle way in which attention can shift. Some way they felt, and you've heard enough of a pay tithe and you prosper, and J.C. Penney paid tithe, and look at the millions he made sort of stories. Uh, you also have to consider the farmer when the grasshoppers came through, wiped his crop out, and the farmer said, if God wants to pasture his grasshoppers on his grain, why, that's up to him. Praise the Lord. There, there, there can be times and places. But you understand what I'm saying? We worship because of what he has done. We worship not in order that. 
the, the essence of idolatry, if I understand it correctly, is really anything that shifts to where we think we can get God to do what we want him to do. Now, again, keep, keep the perspective here. God's eager to hear what, what we want to share with him, no question about it. But when we subtly or maybe even blatantly, I've, I've, I've heard offering calls and um, far from here and other places where the, the appeal really ended with give and God will what? Give and God will, he will? Whoa. You understand? Now, again, I'm not at the criticizing what the dear brother or sister was saying at that point, except to say that we need a firm undergirding, a firm undergirding in our understanding of worship, to worship because and not in order that. And, and the fourth thing I would suggest, <clears throat> we, an understanding of, of worship helps us to adjust our expectations and our criteria, our evaluations, what we're looking for. If you lose sight of the lamb, it's easy to segue into, well, what I get out of it. It was interesting. We had some good music. It was educational. Preacher preached a little too long. And I'm not trying to give a defense for too long sermons or uninteresting services. But once we stand in the throne room of the universe, see the one on the throne and praise him for his creative power, see the lamb and praise him for his redemptive power, we come to worship expecting to see and behold him. In, in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 5, there's a, there's a list of uh, things that human beings consider important. Things, it's a well-nigh inclusive list of things for which people pour out their lives, work hard to get, etc., and so forth. You remember the power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing. The things we count as valuable and they have their place, they can be part of a meaning and purpose, but if they become central, supreme, they're bound to fail. In the anthem we meet in chapter 5, every voice in heaven and ultimately every voice in all of creation declares Give them all to him. To know him, to love him, and to praise him is the center of worship and the center of life. The song moves, maybe you caught that in the, uh, our reading, the song moves to a great crescendo, millions of angels join in, all creation joins in, and it moves toward that glorious hour when every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. In an important way, what we do here in our worship together is a rehearsal for eternity. We do our worship in the 
conviction of the presence of the living God. We worship believing that he has reached out to us. We reach back to him and then out to the family of God and ultimately out to the world for which he gave his son for all of us. If you listen, you can hear the singing spreading. Even now, the choir gets larger as we invite others. Another person chooses to respond and heaven's song echoes on earth. It's not limited to good voices. It's a matter of your heart. I'm going to ask Doyleen and um, Mike to take their places at the instruments, and I'd like you to join in a, a, a very simple setting that my guess is you're almost all familiar with, perhaps everyone, a setting for these words, worthy is the lamb that was slain. All right, the words are going to appear now. All right. Okay. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb. And riches and wisdom, honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb that was. Would you join me in the benediction? A one-word prayer of response. It's got to be robust. It can't be weak and floppy. It's amen, but I want to hear you say it with all your hearts. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Amen. Amen.